this is this is the place where you come to serve your turn. It's it's like a like a apparently a very relaxed prison, you know, like a Norwegian prison, wherever you go there and and you have a garden and there are no fences and you know there's no obviously they they don't put the the criminally insane together with everybody else and you think you are free but all of a sudden you die so that's that's the end of a game so this is this is the world where people come and try to pretend to be god or to be better or to be something that they are not project an image of themselves and try to make believe uh, make other people believe that you know this is who you are but we are in reality very small very fragmental uh, we are a tiny spiritual spark which is a lot more than what we think we are by the way we think we are great we are influential and famous and rich and this beautiful this and that but this is all skin deep this is not true so being a spiritual spark part and parcel of the supremely powerful godhead that's a lot better than being a big fish in a small pond so the the point of simplicity is that not that you have to give up everything because obviously you have certain allotted items and virtues and qualities and tendencies and skills that you possess in this life and you're supposed to use them so how do you use them the the problem is it's like the, if you're if you become a policeman in houston they give you a badge they give you a gun so but they give you also instructions you know you can't go around shooting people so you have a gun, yeah, but you can't shoot people indiscriminately. Even, even if they're committing a crime, you should be also very thoughtful about how you use your gun. So you have certain assets, whether it be intellectual, mental, physical, whatever they are, and these assets are given to you both by your, by your own karma, because you earn them, let's say, and by, by a decision from Krishna or God. So what do you do? You have to engage them. But how do you engage them? How do you use them? Let's say you have musical talent and use it just to attract girls or, you know, to, to get famous or to make money. You know, that's, that's going to be lost. That's going to be lost. It's going to be a misuse of what your what your skills, what your creativity is. You have uh, cooking skills. You have whatever it is. You have to figure out a way to use them so you don't get entangled. Because anything you do in this world has a reaction. So if you, unless you become transcendental and you use the things that you have for the purpose of self-realization and to for devotion to God, all the things are going to come and bite you. They are going to actually be dead weight when you're drowning. You may have a lot of things and all of a sudden you're drowning and no matter how valuable they are, you have to 
release them in order for you to go back to the surface. Otherwise, even if you have, you know, 25 pounds of gold with you, when you are drowning, that is the worst thing to have because it's going to take you faster and faster down, 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 where you don't come back. So this is, this is what happened with simplicity. This simplicity is a virtue. You actually recognize. Also, uh, there, is, there is a verse in the Isopanishad. For those who are not familiar, this is one of the Upanishads, kind of an Upanishad that gives, gives instruction that you should actually take only your quota and know that the rest doesn't belong to you, so you can't take it. Like, for example, let's say there's a truck going by on the highway and has bags of uh, wheat uh, or, you know, whole wheat seeds, whatever it is, sunflower seeds, and uh, a, a bag falls off the, the truck and lands on the side of the road. So the birds come and take whatever they need and other animals come. But if there's a human around, oh, no, he will look around and take the whole bag and go home and just not even know what to do with it. You know, why, why would you need 55 pounds of sunflower seeds? God knows. So, but that's, that's our tendency because we are, we are spoiled. We are greedy. We want, we want things. We think, oh, I can, I can enjoy this. But enjoyment is, um, doesn't come that way. Enjoyment is the result of virtue. When you actually behave properly, then enjoyment will come just like everything else comes. It's not the other way around. It's not like you, you can buy your way to happiness. You can have all the money in the world and still be miserable, just like John Paul Getty or Bill Gates or whomever is the richest guy, the Amazon CEO. Yeah, you can have all the money in the world. You may have so much money and you may not be able to spend it in, lifetime, in several lifetimes. And you still need to take antidepressants, even with all that money. You still have to go and get fill out your prescription for antidepressants and you can't sleep very well at night and you can't digest things. So this is not, there is not, not a correlation between happiness and material acquisition. That's why we should start practicing early in life. Like, what do I really need? We actually have to do um, a final garage sale before the house is taken away and we get evicted. That's, that's how it works. This, this body, well, guess what? You're going to be evicted at a certain point. So it will be quite embarrassing if at the point that you get evicted, you have a lot of junk around, yeah. lust, anger, greed, madness, illusion, envy, jealousy, all these things that you've been throwing in the garage, you know, saving them for later. This is, this is, what, uh, this is what the problem is. You, you, you will never have time to deal with them later. You have to deal with things now, now that you have uh, a good grasp of things. Now you can understand, yeah, this is bad, this is good, and I should do like that. Like, for example, uh, I, if you ask somebody um, that looks like they have a poor 
dietary habits, which in America is widespread. You know, if you if you tell them, you know, you should change your diet, you should probably go vegetarian or you know, vegan, you should stop drinking uh, two gallons of sodas every day, uh, you should stop eating white sugar and everything and every meal with, with every dish. Uh, most people tell you, yeah, you're right. But they don't have any intentions of starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, you should do it. You should do it right away because this is the time to do it. When you wait longer, it's not going to happen. Your determination is at its peak right now. So imagine later on when you have a lot of junk. Let's say if you have, if in your garage, there's a few things, you can kind of go in and take care of it and, you know, spend a whole day and clean it up. But if you keep throwing stuff in there, you cannot even walk anymore. You don't know what the, what the floor is made out of, then you, you will never get the determination and the patience to go through everything and, and select it. I had a, when I lived in Santa Barbara, we had, a, we had this landlady that lived next door. It was a duplex, so we lived one side, she lived on the other side, and she had a garage, a two-car garage, and we couldn't use it because she had junk all over the place. You couldn't, you couldn't even walk in. It was just madness. I'm talking about broken cinder blocks and newspapers from the Eisenhower uh, administration and, you know, junk, junk, just empty cans of oil. I mean, it was like ridiculous, a hoarder. And we had also some things to put in storage, especially because we cook commercially. So we had, you know, three 10 gallon pots and trays and all sorts of different equipment. We had to store it somewhere and we couldn't because she hadn't. So we made a deal with her. I said, I'll help you clean it up. I'll be, I'll, I'll go there and, and clean it up. And, and, you know, we'll definitely make room for us to use just a little portion of it. Um, so she agreed, but she, when the day that I did it, um, a friend came to help me out. She brought a folding chair and sat there while we were doing it. And I said, no, I, I may need that. You know, all the junk that we could get rid of, she will just be attached to it. I said, no, I, I may use that one day. And it was like, a one fifth of a bottle of lemon syrup that had been expired since 1962. It just ridiculous stuff. And she will say, no, I may need it later. So this is, you know, it's kind of funny. Of course, eventually she had to take a bathroom break and we just threw everything in, into the, into our truck and drove off. <laughs> just basically got, got rid of a lot of stuff. But this is this we think it's funny that someone will behave like that. But guess what? How are we any different? Yeah, I have some lust in in the garage of my heart. And I have yeah, I have a few pieces of greed and I have a lot of anger issues and yeah, I'll take care of them later. Oh uh, yeah, I'm dealing with it kind of. 
It's like the guy who's saying, yeah, I'll start my diet on Monday. No, no, you're not. These things are going to just get worse, more difficult. It's difficult to sift through, especially because you, you don't have the youthful exuberance and the passion and the strength and the stamina that it takes to clean up such a thing, such a mess. So our heart is, uh, is, a, is a place that's supposed to be immaculately clean. And it becomes softer and softer and gives room for the love of God, which is all, where all the ecstasy resides. People want to enjoy. Well, guess what? Clean up your heart and it will be more happiness that you can deal with. But no, we, we refuse to do it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. It was uh, at the time I was in Tallahassee, Florida, and I was running a, a center. Um, and I, I used to get, um, there was, I had a neighbor two doors down. He was a massage therapist. He was blind from the age of 18, Steve, very nice guy. And we traded, I cooked for him and he gave me massages. So as I was getting a massage, he was asking me, um, what's that thing you do? You guys chant and, you know, meditation and all that stuff. I said, yeah, it will be. I decided to go all in, you know. I said, okay, you, you, you ask, you, you shall receive. So um, you have lost your sense of sight. You see, we, material life is enjoyed through, this, through these polluted senses. However little enjoyment there is, it comes to the senses. So one of the main senses to acquire pleasure is shut off. There's no, no more for you. You can't see beautiful things. You can't see landscapes, people, just all, all that is lost to you. So you should try to develop your spiritual life. Because you're materialized when I'm not coming back this time around. So you should, you should chant because by chanting, your spiritual eyes will gradually open and you will be able to see from the inside out who you really are, who is God, all that. And he said, well, I'm, I'm willing to try. Very good. He said, well, when the massage is over, I'll, I'll go home. I'll get a set of beads. I'll bring it to you, and I teach you how to chant on the beads, which is uh, your own meditation, your personal, private, quiet meditation, which will actually um, produce all these changes. So I did go home after the massage, came back. It was, I remember, it was 11 o'clock a.m., and I went home to continue doing whatever I was doing. I get a phone call at 7 p.m., same day. Sarvatma, yep, this is Steve. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Mm, hard to answer that. Okay, did you chant? He said, yeah. 
I started chanting when you left, and I stopped just to call you. Eight hours later, he had been chanting for eight hours nonstop. So how did that go? He said, I feel horrible. I've never felt worse in my entire life. I'm 35 years old. I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do with my life. I said, great. The chanting is working. You see, I had to explain to him that the first thing, like when you make ghee out of butter, the first thing you see are the impurities. They drop it to the bottom and they come to the surface. So when you start chanting, your heart is like an attic that has, hasn't been touched for years and years. So when you go to an attic and you kind of look around, don't touch anything, don't turn the light on, everything looks fine. But if you turn the light on and you get a broom and you start sweeping and you see so much dirt and dust and cobwebs and furniture and useless stuff, accumulated boxes of junk that there will, you know, you left, somebody left to you and you left them there. It was just, it's awful. And when you start cleaning, the first thing you will see is that it's a mess. It's awful and there's dust and it seems like to never end. The dirt never ends, but it does. It does because there's, uh, there's a limited capacity. You know, there's a saturation point. Whereas love is endless, but lust is not endless. Greed is not endless. So all these things can be taken out. So I told Steve, listen, you know, the first thing you actually, your spiritual eyes are opening up and you, what you're seeing, you don't like. Well, that's where you're at. And that's, that's what spiritual life is about, to see yourself or where you're at and then move forward where you're really going. So actually, he, uh, he understood the analogy, and he continued chanting. And I, anyway, I lost touch with him years and years ago, but he was chanting 25 rounds a day, I think, 16, 18, 25 rounds a day for a long time, for a long time. Because our only solace is to take shelter of mantra, Krishna, through his name. Anything else will just come and go, fail us. That's the method for this age. We can try to reinvent the wheel, but it's not necessary. This wheel runs fine. It runs very well. So make things simple in your life. Just whatever you have is fine. Remember, you have to give it up eventually. But whatever you have is fine. See, Try to see how you can engage whatever you have in Krishna's service. See how you can make advancement out of your assets and not degrade yourself. Again, if you have musical talent and you use it to attract women or men, to become famous, to get money, then this, this will lead you to bad association and intoxication and ruin eventually. So you have to use whatever assets you have in the service of Krishna. So for some, simplicity means just use what you have. For others that can't deal with it, they may involve a little renunciation, a little giving up. Like, for example, 
if someone is walking down a parking lot and they see a wallet, well, there are probably three ways, many ways to approach it. Let's, let's just divide it into three. A person sees it, just picks it up, puts it in your pocket, and you know, go spend the money, try to take, you know, use the credit cards and the debit cards to get money out of the ATM, try to do whatever you can to squeeze however little pleasure you can get out of stealing. Another person may look at a wallet and say, it's not mine, and just walk by, not touch it. And another person will come and say, oh, there's a wallet. Uh, let's see if I can find some ID. And you find some ID. And then you make a search. You try to Google, uh, LinkedIn, or whatever. You just find the person and tell them, I found your wallet. So one is theft. And the, the other two are forms of renunciation. However, to avoid contact is a very immature form of renunciation because you just don't want, don't want to get involved. And real renunciation is, okay, here it is something. I know it's not mine. I'm going to find the owner. So real renunciation in life is to find who does everything belong to? Who's the owner? And how to give it back? And of course, you get a reward. There's, there's signs everywhere. You know, there are rewards for people who behave like that. So for us, we have different things in our heart that we may not be so eager to give up. And we want to use them for our for our own our own pleasure. Somebody has to mute their microphone. I can hear some noise in the background. So this is uh, we have to see. We have to see if we can deal with the things that we have or not. If you can't deal with the assets that you get then you may have to just give them up immaturely, but you have to give them up so they don't drag you. The best thing is to, is what we are doing here, what you guys are doing. I'm just, you know, I'm just a guest. But it's to, to have Sangha, association of like-minded people. This is the way you make quick progress. And the way to degrade yourself is hang out with the wrong crowd. That is, there's a quick path to degradation. So I know I'm supposed to speak for 45 minutes and I, you know, I, I'd be happy to do it, but I think if there are any points that any of you want to discuss or questions that you have or realizations or reflections, I'll be happy to approach it from that. Uh, I don't, I want to make the, the, this talk a little relevant to, um, to the, inconveniences that you may face. It's just like I am um, sometimes in, a, in foreign countries, you know, festivals, giving seminars and so on. And people ask me questions uh, and they say, well, what if someone does this? Or you know, I said, I don't want to hear about it. Put a name on it. 
Are you talking about yourself? Let's let's make it personal. So let's not make it generic. This this is something uh, we should talk about things that are relevant to us that are uh, bothering us or they're they're dragging us down or they are slowing us down or they we have a hard time dealing with. This is this is what we should address, not just theoretical questions. So let, let's talk about ourselves. You know, we are valuable soldiers, all wounded in the battle, and we gotta help each other. Even if we don't have much training in the medical field, we should patch each other up and help us walk again and fight the fight. So let, let's let's hear from you guys and girls. Let, let's see if you have something that we can discuss that, that is relevant to all of us. Is that okay? Can we do that? Uh, how about the idea of getting too comfortable of getting into spiritual life when you have a problem or anxiety and then once you get some relief from chanting or serving God, then you kind of kick back and, you know, don't progress, don't have a desire to go forward too much. Well, yeah, it, it may happen. It, we are creatures of habit and we tend to be lazy. And so, is the, the bungee cord effect, you know, do as little as possible to get away with relief. And, but, but this is a bad, it's a bad therapy. I say, it, let's say you have gangrene, right? So as the gangrene progresses, you get larger pieces of gauze and larger pieces of band-aid and tape and so on. It, that's not going to help. I mean, it's going to hide it, but it's not going to help. You're still going to have gangrene. Your limb is still going to be amputated eventually when it, when it gets too severe. So we, we cannot get too complacent. We may, you see, that's, that's the point of association. In the association of like-minded peers, um, they, they will check you. They won't, they won't let you get away with stuff like that. They won't, they won't let you be spiritually lazy. Like uh, I was giving a, a, a class in, uh, in Vrindavan, uh, India, and a boy asked me a question after the Bhagavatam class. He said, What's, uh, how, to get, how do you get rid of the false ego? I said, do you live in the ashram? He said, yeah, well, your people living with you will take care of that. You don't have to worry. You, you cannot get away with living with a false ego in an ashram where everybody else can see it. And, uh, you know, HD and many colors. So this is this is the way to get rid of being complacent and lazy is is to live in the association of like-minded devotees and and sp serious spiritual practitioners, not part-time, full-time. Like this is this is not a hobby. Spiritual life is not a hobby. It's a job. It's a full-time job. You may have other. You know, some people have two, three jobs, so it's not unusual. That, you know, to have that, but this is a full-time job. You you want to practice spiritual life, uh, yeah. You can't be a weekend warrior. You you will, but you, you will get 
what you you get what you pay for right like you you want to be a doctor but you don't want to go to medical school you just watch all episodes of Dewey Hauser and and ER and then you think you're a doctor because you talk like one and you don't have any training nobody will let you operate on them without training so in spiritual life it is like that find find a real qualified people who can actually guide you through through this process and and be confident that this is this is not a pie in the sky thing it's, it's a very subtle science and it takes years to understand comprehend and and taste like for example let's talk about chanting again uh, in the beginning everybody gets because in, in the beginning people come to to krishna consciousness people come to spiritual life because they're miserable one way or another you know they they may be inquisitive, they may be curious, they may be in distress, but they're miserable. They have some kind of misery over, overwhelming them. So when you start chanting, the first thing that goes is misery. Everybody gets, you know, great relief from misery. But then usually Krishna takes the pleasure away to see if you're actually chanting to get a kick, to get, to get high, or, or because you want him. And if you progress through that barrier, then the pleasure comes back. It's, I think it's, it's pretty common that things like that happen. Are you doing things because they, they make you feel good? Or you're making things, doing things out of love? Because eventually, you will have to switch your mentality completely, 180 degrees, and you have to do everything out of love. Because if you don't put love in what you do, um, you're not going to have a find a good result. This is going to be simply someone patting your ego and, and a little pleasure that you get in the material world, which is basically relief. There's no real pleasure. There's just relief. We feel miserable, then a little relief comes and you think we are happy. No, you're not happy. You're just miserable and you're not miserable right now. So... That's not happiness. Happiness has a positive quality that only comes through love and devotion. So find people who have this, and then you will get it. It's contagious, just like COVID, but better. Is that a good answer or close to it? Very, very good. I just running. you go to uh, Ukraine and different countries, do you find people who are in simpler situations uh, can get into the holy name more deeply and so forth? Yeah, because they have less to lose. You see, in, uh, in these countries, they, they don't have the opulence of the West. You know, people have very modest accommodations, and if they have a car, it's also, you know, tiny little car, and and the job is, is hard and, and there is not much sense gratification available. So they actually have less of a ballast to release in order to get into spiritual life. Yes, they're, they have, also they have so, softer hearts, they're pious people. They have, they may, you see, a softer heart can go either way. It can also become someone sentimental that, you know, 
cries a lot and, you know, feels that, you know, hankers for that warm, fuzzy feeling and so on. But, but they're actually quite nice. They're quite nice. And because of my style, I, I speak boldly and I had no punches. So when someone told me, you oh, know, this is, this is the state of my life because of the country, because of this, no, it doesn't matter the country. You can be, you can be in hell and be happy. And you can be in heaven and be miserable. So it depends on your inner state of consciousness. If your consciousness is high, it doesn't matter where you are. Because if you're in a state of love, it doesn't matter what the external circumstances are. We may have experienced you know, some, some kind of crush, some kind of love story. We're in love and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the food is bad, you're cold, everything is late, nothing happens. But you're in love, so it's fine. It's, it's cool. You know, you can tolerate anything. So when you're in love with Krishna, you can you can tolerate anything. You can go anywhere. You can do anything, and everything is going to be fine. And as long as you're not in love, well, then things start to bother you. Yes. So you have to keep chanting for that for all those bo- empty boxes full of junk go away so you can actually feel the love because the love is there you don't have to bring it in it's there but it's deep it's it's hidden by all the junk so as soon as you get to that point that you can see it then everything will happen automatically and and you can't give it up you you can't think of anything else you can't do anything else it, whatever you do is is just you know, brownie points on top of that. It's a cherry on top of the pie. pie. It's just, everything is fine. You won't have to search for other things. Once you achieve it, it's like Prabhupada said, you know, if you have, if you have um, $10, then, you know, you have a lot of dollar problems. But if you have $10 million, all your $10 problems are over immediately you don't have any kind of problem like that so when you have love of krishna within your heart all your problems are gone everything else is life is rosy everything is fine everything is good as long as you don't feel love for krishna then struggle will be there but again the chanting will help this this krishna does it didn't didn't give us whimsically a haphazard plan. He thought about it carefully and he invested all his potencies. He, he, he showed up himself as a name so we can have contact with God even when we chant, especially when we chant. So chanting is, is a key that unlocks all the secrets of the universe. You know, he wanted to know everything, everything that you're allowed to know and start chanting and Take it seriously, and then you will you will be a happy person, even if it may, it may not show, you know. But inside, you will be peaceful. You will be happy. And Prabhupada said, "Without there is no happiness without peace." So first, you have to be peaceful. And unless you cut your anxiety, the the, 
The name of the spiritual world is Vaikuntha, the spiritual realm. Vaikuntha, by, without. Kunta, anxiety. Because that's a characteristic of the material world. Anxiety, everywhere. Everywhere. So, if you haven't reached the point of no anxiety, then you're still in material consciousness. So chanting will help you overcome that. Yeah. Anyone else has, will, has something to share? I really like what you said about, um, you know, are you doing, doing spiritual uh, deeds or practices, um, you know, for your own pleasure or out of, uh, you know, true love uh, of God and a seriousness to grow spiritually? Um, I, I think, you know, I've, I've only been in this process and in the association of devotees for about a year. And uh, I know, you know, not too long ago, actually, you know, I was in that phase of kind of just like expanding and kind of sampling everything, you know, both, you know, within like the temple, within you know, the company of senior devotees, but then also kind of like other newcomers that were also kind of like experimenting, you know, and, you know, they might have, they might be taking, you know, this kind of a yoga class or trying, you know, three or four different types of meditation or going to this kind of like hodgepodge festival, you know, where lots of different types of spiritualists are coming in um, and people trying to teach each other, you know, but still also um, learning themselves. Um, and uh, I started, you know, gradually coming to the, uh, the realization that, you know, there's some simplicity in the practice is also kind of necessary, um, you know, not to stray in too many directions. Can you talk about how, you know, the simplicity can also apply to, um, you know, what you do spiritually as well? Um, and what are the benefits? Sure. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's almost, it's very rare when someone comes to Krishna consciousness and has experienced everything already, doesn't have to go into, okay, let me try this, let me try that. And even, even, even it happens that, you know, all of a sudden you, you become a monk, but, and you, you live a full life, but then you become a monk, and then some of the old things start to creep back, you know, what if? What did I miss? And, and you may have a tendency, okay, let me, I know I shouldn't, but what if I kind of weigh, if I can find a way to do it without, you know, making it bona fide, making it uh, not so, not sinful or not, you know, somehow I keep it in the house. Um, this is uh you see, and, and especially nowadays where, where commitment, you know, among millennials and post-millennials, this is like a bad word. It's like a four-letter word. You know, I, can't, I cannot commit to, 
to that, what if I miss something else? What if, what if I find something else and I can't change? You see, you're on a, you have to understand, first of all, that your, your choices are very limited. Imagine you're on an airplane. You, you bought a ticket, you're flying from Houston to Chicago. So you have many choices. You can choose to talk to the next passenger, make a new friend, make a business contact, read a magazine where you find an idea that inspires you, uh, eat some food that may you know, change your diet or may make you sick, uh, go to the bathroom, not go to the bathroom, look out the window, watch a video. I mean, there, drink water, make an ass of yourself. You know, you can, so many choices you have while on a plane. But there's one choice that you have forfeited, that you have given up, which is where you land. You're going to land in Chicago. You made that choice before when you purchased a ticket and you're on the plane now. So that choice is not available to you anymore. Unless you're crazy or, you know, you just want to jump in me there. So this is, this is a problem with commitment. That once you commit to something, you, you think you, other choices will appear all of a sudden and, and you're going to be missing out because you, you made a previous choice. But unless you live your life fully, you're not living at all. So this is, uh, simplicity is, is, is just a fact of understanding how life is and how to choose properly the things that you need and the things that do not need, even if they look, look attractive. For example, um, I made a commitment to eat only food that can be offered to God. So I won't eat anything else. I even train myself to look at things, even if they look appetizing and delicious, as if it was a bowl, a centerpiece, a bowl of wax fruit. It looks great, but ain't edible. And you're not eating that. No matter how good it looks, how real it looks, it's not food. So to me, in order to eat, I have to know that that food is offerable, that you can actually make a offering of love to God, and then you can eat it. Otherwise, you know, I'm not touching that. So that kind of commitment takes determination because, you know, people offer you stuff all the time, but I, I have to, I'm sorry, I have to see the origin, I have to read the ingredients, I have to see how it's made and, you know, if it is for me or not. So in other, in other aspects of your life, you have to just, See, okay, yeah, if I do this, I have to give up this and that, but it's worth it. I'm, and I'm going to, I'm not going to, you know, look back, you know, every, every half hour during the process, see if I, wait, can I get off now? Can I see if I can catch up to the other thing that I, I didn't, I didn't do, or I didn't commit to do? No, you just make a commitment, you go through. And if it doesn't work, you'll be the first one to know. And then you can choose something else. But get through the things. Be thorough. Don't, don't give up midway. It's like making bread. You know, you cannot just mix the dough, put it in the oven, and take it out five minutes later and expect to have bread. It, it will take an hour. So you got to wait. 
you have to be patient. And that's another thing that millennials and XYs and all, you know, all the post millennials don't have, they don't have any patience. They want things right now, serving a platter and just let me, let me if I can't get it on Amazon prime, I, it's not worth getting, you know, cause it doesn't come fast enough. You go to Trader Joe's and you know, there's more than two people uh, waiting in line and you just, you go crazy. Uh, what happened to patience? Patience is a virtue. You need to have it in order to accomplish it. You, you, cannot, you cannot become anything overnight. You can become an ass overnight. Yeah, you can become. But, but probably that is because you were before you started that journey. So you, you cannot be anything. Any, any excellence cannot be achieved overnight. So you have to be patient. So if you look at something and it looks right for you and you analyze it and you see it has all the right characteristics and then just go for it and take as long as it takes. I'm, I've been um, practicing, I've been chanting that um, prescribed number of rounds of my beads for, uh, for the last 40 years. And I... I truly believe that I haven't really started exploring my potential, my real potential and, and done a good job. So I hope that, you know, in the next 40 years, I'm not going to leave that long in this body, but in the next 20 years, I'm maybe able to modify something and, and change my attitude and, and get better and more regulated and more intention and more depth and more devotion. You see, I'm just starting. And yeah, 40 year commitment to you may seem, oh, gee, that's a long time. And to me, I'm just starting. I'm just getting warmed up. This is my rehearsal now. Is that good? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else would like to share? Yes, I want to share. Um, Hare Krishna, Srimatha Prabhu, I really liked your point about um, engaging the asses that we have in, in service and also the point that you made that if we cannot engage it um, and we don't know really how to do it and it really just drags us down to let go of that. And I am curious about that point in a sense because, I mean, I think it really connects with the idea of patience as well and, and guidance from devotees. But how do we really recognize when is the time to let go of those things um, if we really don't know how to engage them or maybe if even the engagement isn't somehow like satisfying to us? And I don't want to say like satisfying in a sense of sense gratification, but in a sense that it's just not um, kind of fully in line with maybe like ourselves, if that makes any sense. Yes, yes, it does make sense. Like, you know, if you join the Hare Krishna movement with a guitar, you expect to be the next rock star and, you know, and sing, sing for Krishna and all that stuff. But guess what? There's, there's a department called the pot washing department that you will have to visit. Uh, very regularly for quite a while. And then maybe eventually you, you get to, so what, what are your assets? What do you consider your assets are? 
Um, well, I'm an artist, so I guess that's my message. Okay. So, yeah, artists are, are, are special beings. Uh, they are very sensitive. They're, they're usually um, misunderstood and they, they, have, they have a very creative mind. So they, they have to deal with probably a little more of the bounces that other people do that, you know, most people, most people are kind of callous and they tolerate certain things, but artists, they, everything gets under their skin. You know, that's why they are artists because they, they need to, they have a lot to express and they need a, a medium to, to do it. However, however, there is, there is a process of purification that everybody has to undergo. Um, I was explaining, I was giving a, a lecture this morning at the local ashram that uh, a soldier, someone who is, is training to be a soldier is in boot camp and has to undergo extreme um, difficulties like cold and rainy and, and uh, hunger and all that stuff. It's not like, you know, the, the commander of, uh, of the regiment is going to come and say, oh, poor thing. Are you cold? Well, we'll take you to a room. We have a nice heater and a, and a warm shower and we have a hot meal ready for you. No, that, that person will never become a soldier. It'll be, it'll be a wimp. Just So in order to be a, a spiritual soldier, you have to go through, undergo some tribulations, even with a sensitive personality like, like an artist. We'll have to, you have to tolerate things that are, you're not used to because, because they are good for you, because they will shape you up, they will make you strong, and you want to be strong. Once, but that's the point, once you become strong, then your tendencies will resurface and you will be able to engage them properly. But if they are, uh, if, if your tendencies are there and the training is not there, then your mind will take in many different directions and you will never be satisfied with that because you don't have the strength to do it. You just have your mind that is guiding you and misguiding you in many different directions. So uh, another topic that we were talking about today during class, is uh, loneliness and depression and pain and all the things that are so very vivid and present among everybody. So even in a community of spiritualists, we have people that require uh, medication and counseling and professional help. And that, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever makes you better, whatever makes you stronger. But the, the fact is that we are not alone. There is, God is within the heart, right next to the soul, is guiding your steps. And all we have to do is clean up the junk that is in between the two of us and make that dialogue open again. Right now we hear a lot of interference. Uh, I'm not saying this literally. Uh, 
we hear interference when when God talks to us, we, we can only hear through the voice of the mind and it's full of bad advice and you know erroneous indications. But once you your heart is clean, then you, you can actually communicate with the super soul. So all all you have to do is take it in. Don't don't reject it. Don't reject the pain and the loneliness and the depression and let them come and deal with them and become strong. Not just working full time just to avoid things that are going to come to you one way or another. Because if you reject them now, they will show up again. And they show up now is because you need to deal with them now. If you postpone them, then you will have to deal with things later on when you're really not equipped. It's, it's a poor timing and, and you're going to be messed up. So as things come to you, good or bad, doesn't matter. You deal with them. Um, there is, there is a, we are actually projecting our next life, our next body. We are already shaping it up. We're all architects of our next life. And Krishna so kindly comes with a flamethrower and is just burning it. Our next uh, projection of our next body is burning it to ashes so we don't have to take another birth. And it hurts. Oh, heck, it hurts. But it's good pain. It's a, the pain that is going to actually make you go through things and overcome them and, and go get ready to, to do your real thing. Like, for example, um, the artists in the, in the Krishna movement, when they started, like Jadurani and Parikshit and, and Molida and so on, they were quite naive. I mean, they, their art was really naive, just pretty primitive and, and childish. But they actually became better and better and better and better. They just made progress because they... They didn't give up and they didn't stay also. They didn't stay in, into the same style that they, they began. They could tell needs improvement. And they, so right now you're young, good for you. You have that in, in your favor. Uh, just you have to be patient because you may have to go through a lot of stuff, but, but your stuff is there. Your the seed of your creative spirit is there just bursting to come out. Just give it time. Just try to improve your environment. You know, make your heart clean and soft so Krishna can sit in it and can guide your steps. Is that okay? Yes, thank you. Thank you. So Winston, is, is there anyone else that would like to contribute or should we get into Kirtan? Up to you guys. Okay. Um, last call, does anyone else have any more questions or, or realizations to, to share? Hi Krishna, this is Karuna. Hi Karuna. I just, wanted, I just wanted to say Hari Bol Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hey, Karuna, how's it going? Thanks for joining tonight. Yes, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for the class, Prabhu. And thank you for uh, maintaining this program, Winston. It's really nice. 
Hare Krishna. So glad to, glad to hear your voice. Uh, yes, we miss you a lot. Yeah, I miss you too. <laughs> Hare Krishna. So, uh, so Prabhu Prabhu, I, I think with that, uh, we can start our, our Kirsten tonight. Okay, we'll do that. I'm going to move the computer towards the piano. So, am I going to hear you chant, or how is this going to work? Well, I think we're going to have to mute just because uh, the mics end up clipping when uh, a lot of people are chanting at once. Okay. So, we'll be right there with you. All right. All right. Can let you see. This is our altar. Beautiful. Uh, you you can tell me if the sound is is okay or not. I can I can revert to not using the headphones if uh, necessary. Great. Sounds okay. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Drowning out your voice a little bit. Um, oh, I should. Okay. Soften the piano um, for your voice to come through. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. <laughs> no, no problem. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare, 
Thank you very much, Prabhu Hare Krishna. My pleasure. Thank you. So uh, we actually had some additional questions come in. Um, okay. Uh, would that be all right? Yes, yes, of course. Okay. Uh, Namai Sundari asks if you could share about your association with Tamal Krishna Maharaj. Oh, okay. Um, well, let me, let me take the table back. One second. Well, I have a, I have a fiery temperament. And, and so did Tamal Krishna Maharaj. But we got along quite well. He was always very kind and very nice to me. Um, I think I have some memories where I was at, uh, in Ridayananda Maharaj's house in LA when he came one day. At the, it was a courtesy, just like today here. And he came to the door, had Maharaj, and went directly to the kitchen where I was. So I offered my respects, and he said, are you going to cook for me? I said, I'm going to try. Mm. Do you know how to make good apple chutney? And I said, probably not to your standards. He said, that's right. You probably don't. So I'm going to teach you how to do this. Um, all right. So he said, Hamsaduta used to make this chutney for Prabhupada. So you get a whole apple and you core the apple. You don't peel it. You don't cut it. And you just put some ghee and chilies and, uh, and you make it really hot and you throw all the apples at once and you just shake it, don't even open the pot and until the apples, you know, they burn, they burn your eyes, but they become soft and uh, it becomes chutney. I think you had some sweetener at the end. I can't remember. This was probably 30 years ago. Uh, and then I, I cooked a few times for him. I, I made pizza and pasta and you know he, he liked Italian and make other, other type of things and I remember um, he used to come to Krishna Fest we used to have organized by Gunagrahi Maharaj we used to have uh, this party of devotees they will sing and playing instruments in front of the Air and Space Museum in Washington DC uh, of the mall and uh, Mahatma, myself, and uh, others were, were part of it. And I sometimes when I wasn't playing the keyboards or singing, I, I would play the recorder, like a Baroque wooden flute. And because Samuel Krishna Maharaj played the flute, he actually had a, had a, you know, very refined taste. And he liked how I play, so he would actually kind of, not hide, but you know, be out of out of sight and just listen when when I used to play the flute. Um, there was a there was a time that I I had a kind of like a not a miscommunication, but I you know I I told him 
that I met his brother that hadn't seen him in many, many years. And uh, he and his wife were quite nice. And it would be a good idea if he sent him a book and, and a note. And he said, why don't you buy one of my books and send it to him? I said, oh, no, I don't think it works this way. Um, I'm going to skip that. So he was in L.A. at the time on his way to Fiji or Philippines. And then 10 days later, he was back. And he saw me say, hey, Sarvama, I because I gave him a paper with a with the address of name and address of his brother and his wife, he said I did send him a book and a note. So you know, just so I just wanted you to know. And and then eventually they became very very close. So I uh, I don't know maybe I, I I was part of a mechanism that made him made him come close to each other. And even he even called me from across the street and gave me a hug for no reason. So I imagine that. That was the reason why, because I connected him with his estranged brother. It wasn't estranged, it's just that they, they were in the different paths. And um, another time, I wanna, I'm going to end here. Um, twice, I took him to Ross, Ross Dress for Less, uh, to, buy, to buy clothes. I mean, he always wore sannyasa garb. You know, I'd never seen him wearing anything else, but uh, Ridhananda Maharaj convinced him that he, if, he, if he was going to China, he should go to the university and study. Eventually, he ended up in Southern Methodist, but uh, the, the idea was to go to China and, and study, you know, at a university. So he had he had no idea what clothes to wear, and because you know, I'm a I'm an accomplished fruity worker, uh, I I could. I could do that for him. So I took him to Ross and, you know, chose a bunch of clothes and he we went to the dressing cabinet and he tried them on. Of course, he, he tended to go towards the orange, saffron, peach colors. <laughs> Anything he, want, he was going to buy, I said, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think you should wear orange pants and, you know, orange shirts and, you know, Beach sweaters, you know. This is you have to if you're gonna be in disguise, you know, make it make it full. You know, use beige and blue and black and so on. This this color. So uh, we bought jackets and shorts and pants and shirts and you know innumerable stuff. And of course, because of the way he was, he he decided that you know to return half of his stuff and get something else. And you know, so we. We had to go back to to Ross and and do that. And anyway, we had a I had a very nice relationship with them. I always liked them a lot. And uh, oh, there's one more incident I can tell. There's, I was uh, he was staying in L.A. with Ridhananda Maharaj and myself in the house. Um, he stayed for a couple of days. So I said, uh, after breakfast, I, I told him, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for a couple hours. I'll, I'll be back if you need anything. You know, just let me know now before I leave. He said, where are you going? Oh, well, I have, I have to get my Birkenstocks fixed because my, they're peeling off or whatever. He said, oh, I have a pair that need repair. But, and then 
and here comes you know specific instructions. You can't just get away with just do a repair. He said, I only want the heel to be replaced on the sole, not the whole sole. So, and this has to be this way, and that way. I'll, I'll try. So I, I did go to this place. You know, not every place speaks Birkenfels in Century City. And uh, when I told the guy, the repairman, you know, you know, just a, just a heel, he said, no, we just take the whole thing out and put a new one, a new sole. So I had to, I said, okay, just give me a second. I, I call the house, and this was before cell phone, so I call the house, couldn't get through, and I had to make an executive decision with Tamal Krishnamarja's shoes, my hand, really, do I, what do I do now? Uh, I'm gonna get punished no matter what. So anyway, he needs, it needs to be repaired. So I said, okay, go ahead, rip it up. So he took the, the entire sole and put a new one, glue it, and you know, it looked like new. And I came back and uh, so I said, well, I have good news and bad news. What are the good news? Your shoes look like new. And what are the bad news? Not the way you want it. Because, you know, they don't do, maybe when you take it to a little shop in the, in the, in the forest in Philippines, they can, you know, hand carve it and take the heel only and, you know, repair it and do it like that. But here, it's America. They just, they just get a, a, a saw, <laughs> a big stone that just eats away everything and, you know, they just put a new one. He said, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not a poor man. I can't afford another pair of shoes if this doesn't work out. So, you know, I thank you for that. So that I, I was relieved because uh, <laughs> to displease him wasn't my intention. So in any case, I always had a, I had a very nice relationship with him. He, he was very kind. And we, I spent time, he spent five weeks in Santa Barbara house, so I used to, I used to serve him and cook and so on. So that's that's what I have for you. Uh, Angelica asks also um, about the apple chutney. Um, is that constituted probably from Sri Sri Radha recipe or a different Hamsa Uh This is the original Hamsa Duta, the 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 one. One of the first devotees in the movement I used to cook for Prabhupada. I don't know what, I just remember it was very weird that you just put ghee and chilies and you throw the apples and you just close the pot at high temperature and you just kind of burn them and soften them at the same time and then, then add some sugar at the end so it becomes liquid and very hot and kind of nice if you like that kind of stuff. Uh, there is a, another question. Um, provide some links to my music. Oh, it's pretty easy. Sarvatma.com. I I upload um, because I I travel through poor countries and the bodies ask me for CDs. I used to have CDs, but I uploaded everything, um, good or bad. I uploaded it to this website so you can listen to or download for free, sarvatma.com. That's it. 
Wonderful. All right. Um, any, are there any more questions for tonight? Going once, going twice. I just want to say thank you. It was a really nice class. You're welcome. This is Guru Bhakti. Can I, is Divya there? Can I, can we see her? You know how shy she is, right? Well. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Hare Krishna. I can't see you very well. Can't see you. She can see you. Okay, I'm going to turn off. Hi, Bo, Devya. Hi, Bo. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Bo, Devya. Thank you. Hi, Krishna. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Yeah. Very shy. I wanted to mention that Sarvabhama gives, Prabhu gives uh, Bhagavatam class in Denver every Friday, I believe. Mm. It's, it's on Facebook. In Houston, it's at 9 a.m. Mm. So nine, nine your time, yes. So don't miss it. He's, he's a great devotee and a great speaker. Thank you so much, Prabhu. What's up? Uh, can you repeat the, the day and time again? Um, it's Fridays at 9 a.m. your time, at 8 a.m. our time, and it's, it's Facebook, Denver uh, Radha Krishna Temple, or on Mayapur TV. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. But actually, there are better classes than mine. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not sure Friday, but on, uh, on, on Mondays, there's a devotee named Samya Pras, who gives fantastic classes here at the Denver Temple. And uh, on Tuesdays, not every Tuesday, every other Tuesday maybe, a uh, devotee named Bala Gopal, also very... Oh. Are you still there, uh, Looks like we might have lost him. Thank you, Winston. Hi, Krishna. Most welcome. Thank you for, for joining us tonight. Hare Krishna. Is that a Sridhanjali Amataji? Yes, Hare Krishna. Please accept my humble obeisances. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Please accept my humble obeisances. It's so nice to hear you. It's so wonderful to hear you too. He's reading your husband's book. Which one? I think he said he ordered this, the, the second one then. Uh, yes, back home. Oh, nice. Yeah, great. <laughs> Tell us what you think when you're done. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Please give Talachani Prabhu my best. Oh, I, w I certainly will. Thank you. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna Sarvaboma. Thank you.
Fred Unsley for joining in. It was so nice to have you. It's, it's so wonderful to have seen you um, and hear your voice again. And see your good wife, too. <laughs> Hi, Krishna. Sorry, I'm Hi, hiding. <laughs> I'm glad you're feeling better. I am better. It's a slow road, but I'm better. So farewell, everyone. Hi, Paul. Thank you, Shana. You want to say who's next week, Vincent? He's on the phone. Oh. Next week, Adi Karta Prabhu from Florida will speak on Back to Nature, Krishna Conscious Farming. He's a very senior Prabhupada disciple. We're really looking forward to that. That'll be I think Winston can explain it. Yes. Yeah, sorry about the uh, technical difficulties. Uh, Zarbal Prabhu just uh, called me and said the internet went down. Um, but uh, he gives his best to everyone. And uh, appreciate everyone. So, uh, as for, for announcements for this week, uh, as Sarvabhama Prabhu was saying, uh, yeah, next week we've got um, Adhikarta Prabhu speaking to us on. Uh, the topic of back to nature, um, talking about agriculture and sustainability and bhakti. And then on the uh, 28th, we have Vatsal Prabhu. For, uh, for those programs, I'm really excited to have um, such wonderful guest speakers with us. And uh, again, apologies for the uh, technical difficulties. Um, and uh, Sasari Krishna to everyone. And uh, actually, one more announcement um, we're going to have recordings of all these classes on our new YouTube channel. Um, in the chat room right now. Uh, questions or, um, or anything about the program. Um, Thank you again for joining. Uh, we'll see you next time. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service to make this happen. Thanks for joining us. Hare Krishna.